0: CHAPTER 14A OF BIBLE DEFENSE OF SLAVERY BY Josiah PRIEST This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. CHAPTER 14 During the time we have been occupied in producing this work, the question has been frequently asked the writer, if he does not consider it a Christian duty to enslave and hold in bondage individuals of the African race, seeing that we build our whole belief on this matter upon the divine oracles. Therefore, say they, ought not Christian men and all others to make the thing binding on their very consciences and preservingly assist in the accomplishment of so great a duty as we should any and all injunctions of the scriptures not abrogated? Our reply to this question is, that the scriptures do not command the enslavement of the Negro race, but they give a history of that people, in which is related the account of their being cursed by the mouth of Noah, and of the endorsement of that same curse in the law of Moses, giving the right and privilege to the races of Shem and Japheth to enslave them, if they will, In which practice not even the new testament opposes any objection, but says one, if it was not a command that the two races of Shem and Japheth should enslave the race of Ham, how then could there be any certainty that the judicial decree of God, as announced by Noah, that they should be servants, be secured to take place? Our answer to this is that the commands of God make nothing sure, as all men are free to disobey as they are free to obey, but the decrees of God are sure without man's obedience or disobedience, the deity taking care so to shape things and circumstances that his veracity shall not be impeached. It is on this ground. And no other ground that the judicial decree of God, respecting Ham and his posterity, was made sure to take place, which, as all the world knows, has been fulfilled, and will, doubtless, still continue to be thus fulfilled, in some shape or other, till the end of the world. There can be no doubt But the chief means by which the divine wisdom has secured the accomplishments of the personal enslavement of Ham's race is the position they hold in relation to the other two races, the white and red men of the first ages, as well as the same races now, being actually of a more noble and intellectual description of person and countenance, overawe the more imbecile and cringing Negro, who, on this account, naturally looks up for protection and support to the more conservative and powerful races of Shem and Japheth. This being so, which all men must acknowledge, they have naturally and fortuitously become slaves, in myriads of instances, and thus have secured the same fate to their offspring in perpetuity in this position there is nothing that savors of sin as it is but the weaker seeking protection of the stronger it is the natural operation of circumstances not to be avoided without much trouble and resistance how many freed blacks there are in this country who have gone again to their former masters, having found it impossible to take as good care of themselves free as when slaves. But there are other ways in the mutations of society, occasioned by the revolution of nations, in which, as it relates to individuals, there is no sin to be charged upon them though the negro race fall into their hands as personal slaves, which is under the direction of that eye who will secure the accomplishments of his decrees. As it respects the cases of millions of families in this and all countries, they find, as children and heirs, that they are in possession of black slaves, without their knowledge and consent, the same as the rest of inherited estates and property. So it may be that, in most cases, where the Negro man is found a slave, that some uncontrollable circumstance at first necessitated the purchase of the black man as a slave, thus securing, without sin, the servitude of millions. Africa herself, in all ages, has stood ready with her billions of slaves to tempt the cupidity of men in their purchase, selling their own race for the merest trifle ahead. This has always been done by their chiefs. In this, who is to blame? The Negro is too ignorant and imbecile to be charged with sin, in the proper sense of the word, on this account. And the purchasers, what else could they do but take them when offered, as their condition in life could not be made worse by the transfer, but far better? Thus, the divine providence, in an arbitrary manner, has taken care to accomplish its own judicial appointment of the Negro race to slavery abolitionists in their opposition to the principle of negro slavery contend that as the supreme being dealt severely in the way of judgment with the egyptians for refusing to let the hebrews go free from their condition of bondage in that country it is made clear therefore as they believe that he is not pleased with the practice which enslaves the black race but between the two cases there appears to be no parallel no likeness of condition on which account though god punished and rebuked the egyptians for their behavior toward the hebrews in that affair yet this furnishes no reason why we are to believe that therefore negro slavery is against his will The Hebrews were sent from the land of Canaan down to Egypt by God himself, where they were received as citizens, and placed in the richest part of that country, namely in Goshen, as in the hollow of his hand, who preserved them there during four hundred years, till such time as he should be ready to return them again to the land of Canaan, as he had promised to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15 verse 16 We do not learn from the scriptures that the Hebrews during their stay in Egypt were slaves in the abject or property sense of the word and that they were bought and sold as such among the Egyptians but that they were vassals only and were compelled to pay a heavy tax in labor to the government which toward the close of their stay in that country, became exorbitant in the extreme. Respecting this labor, which they were compelled to render, it does not appear that they were exacted during the whole time they were in Egypt, but only toward the end of that sojourn. We come to the conclusion that they were not held as personal slaves, the same as Negroes are in the southern states, because, it is seen from Exodus chapter 12, verse 32, that they had vast herds of flocks and of cattle. If flocks and herds, then they had the possession and occupancy of land, which would also suppose houses in which they dwelt, enjoying all the domiciliary appendages of society, governing themselves yet in a tributary condition. That this was the fact is shown from Exodus chapter 9, verse 7, where it is written, that Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. But to what place did Pharaoh send to find this out? To Goshen, the country which was given to the Israelites when they first came into Egypt as is seen from genesis chapter 47 verses 4 and 11 which goshen is in the land of rameses the very best in the country of egypt if the hebrews were actual slaves as persons are who are bought and sold then it was impossible for them to possess property as land houses cattle and herds or who have maintained a system of nobility or eldership, which they certainly did, as appears from Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, who at the very time of their oppression and of the plagues, given in Goshen, as is evident from Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. Had they been slaves, this could not have been, as the people of that caste had no titles or dignitaries no nobility of any description property or social compacts as the hebrews had at the very time when moses demanded their release from pharaoh and when he delivered them out of the country the bondage therefore to which they were subjected was that of vassalage and the payment of exorbitant taxes required to be paid in labor beyond their power to perform it is very likely that the persons who performed this labor in making brick were drawn out by draughts so many from every hundred and then sent to the king's works for a given time and then returned again when others were draughted in their turn had this not been so The Hebrews could not have had possessions in the country, or maintained any form of society whatever, as they certainly did. The Egyptians, from their earliest history, practiced buying and selling slaves of the property character, as is seen from the history of Joseph, who was sold as a slave to an Egyptian by the Ishmaelites, and from other sources, But the Hebrews came into Egypt not as slaves, but as citizens, in full fellowship and equality with the lords of Egypt, in virtue of their relation to Joseph, the savior of Egypt, in the days of the famine. We do not find that the scriptures have blamed the Egyptians, because they held the Hebrews in a condition of vassalage, but because they abused them and would not let them go, when God called for them by the ministration of Moses. We see no parallel, therefore, between the condition of the Hebrews in Egypt, and the slavery of the Negro race, as ordained from the lips of Noah, and from Mount Sinai. Egypt was the house in which God saw fit to place the seed of Abraham, till such time as the nations of the land of canaan should become ripe for destruction when he intended to take the hebrews away from the egyptians as he had promised abraham genesis chapter fifteen verses thirteen and fourteen the sojourn of the people of israel in the country of egypt was not therefore a state of bond slavery in which the Egyptians claimed and held them as their property, but only as a nation of vassals providentially placed among them, who, on account of their rapid increase in the country, oppressed them grievously, in order to keep them from becoming numerous, as appears from Exodus chapter 1, verses 9-11. through 11. Had they not been a body politic in Egypt they could not have acquired wealth, so as to have left the country possessed of great substance, beside that which the Egyptians, in their fear, bestowed upon them when they went out of the country toward the Red Sea. Egypt, it is true, is often alluded to in the scriptures as having been the house of bondage to the Hebrews, and their condition while there that of bondmen yet of the vassal character not property slaves states of human being widely different from each other the united states while under the yoke of great britain was a condition of national bondage but no man was a bond slave on that account and yet in principle their condition was just the same with the Hebrews in Egypt, except the latter were more severely treated. There were many reasons why the Supreme Being saw fit to place the lineage of the Messiah in the condition the Hebrews endured in the country of Egypt, one of which was that thereby occasion might arise for him to exhibit his power as the God of the universe by which means the insignificance and nothingness of all other gods might be seen. The judgments, therefore, which were let loose in ten signal displays upon Egypt, as well as the death of many ten thousands in the Red Sea, were in pursuance of that design, as well, also, as to punish the haughty and cruel Negro king, of the nile for not letting the hebrews go when they were called for by the god of the universe the rebuke therefore of the egyptians on that occasion affords no argument in support of that opinion that god was ever displeased with negro slavery as between the two cases the hebrews in egypt and the negroes under the curse present no parallels to each other, as to the reasons or principle of the occurrences. If the argument which abolitionists draw from, that history and circumstance, is correct, namely, that God is opposed to Negro slavery, how came it to pass in a few months after those awful displays of his power upon the Egyptians that he gave a permit to the hebrews to enslave the negro heathen people of old canaan in the very law of moses given from heaven on mount sinai if as abolitionists say god punished the egyptians for holding the hebrews in a state of slavery and from that alone How could he justify the enslaving of the Canaanite heathen immediately after? The idea is preposterous, irreconcilable, and absurd. Thus falls to the ground every argument and position which abolitionists conjure up from the scriptures, which goes to contradict the decree of God on the Negro question. There is one trait among the incidents of Negro slavery upon which abolitionists fix their eye with an awful and fierce intensity, calling on all mankind to come and see the horrid light. And this is the circumstance of separating the families of slaves by their being sometimes sold to other masters. On this subject abolitionists argue the same as they would were the case their own, imagining the Negro parents feel such a circumstance as acutely and as sentimentally as white families would under similar circumstances. But this is a mistake, as we believe, and does not apply to the Negro's case, as it would to that of the white's on account of a want of the higher intellectual faculties of the mind of the blacks. On occasions of severe bereavement, the feelings of Negro parents seem to be of shorter duration, as it is well known that the bond of marriage and family obligation with that race is of but secondary considerations, or of slight influence, as a knowledge of and a participation in high intellectual love and elevated affections is not reached by the black man's soul. On this very account, the desire of promiscuous intercourse prevails in Negro society far more than among the whites, and is carried out in their practice. The power of this trait of their constitutional make no doubt operates in lessening their attachments to refined family endearments, so that when separated from each other by being sold, it is not so grievous a thing as it would be to the mind and feelings of a white man or woman. This trait of the Negro character was always, thus, a striking proof of which is related by Herodotus. Volume 6, page 77 as follows, At a certain time, when the Persians had the mastery of Egypt, there was a tribe who had revolted, and after an unsuccessful struggle against their conquerors, the male part of the population of their citadel or town came to a resolution of secretly making their escape, leaving their families and kindred behind to look out for themselves while they should reach, if possible, the Ethiopian country that lay at the head of the Nile. Continuing, quote, But as soon as it was known to the Persians, they pursued the fugitives and soon came up with them when a parley took place. The Persians endeavored to persuade the Negroes to return by alluding to their gods, their wives and children from whom they were to be forever separated, if they persisted in their project. But, when this appeal was made to the dearest sensibilities of the human mind, one of their number leaped out from the midst of his fellows, and, in a loud stentorian voice, said, as he exposed himself improperly, "'Wherever we go, more wives and more children can be obtained.' when they took to their heels and were soon out of sight in the wilderness. In agreement with this disposition, it is said by all travelers and those acquainted with the true African Negro character that parents will sell their little children for almost any trifle as a piece of cloth, a girdle of beads, a bottle of wine or brandy, or any trinket which strikes their fancy. And this they do with the knowledge of the certain enslavement of their offspring. Universal Traveler, page 404. We know, it can be said, that the Jew would sell his children. But it was with the knowledge of its release in six years to freedom again. It may also be said that The Circassians, who are white, will sell their daughters to the Turks. But this is done not to enslave them, but to exalt them to the honor of being a member of some great man's harem. This is owing to their false education, not insensibility of nature. But the Negro man sells his babe as an abject slave, brutally for almost no reward never to see it again the transaction taking place on the part of the negro parent with all the apathy and indifference they would sell a dog in all this does it not appear that there is a difference between the affections of the two races toward their offspring and that the separating of negro parents from their children is not as grievous as abolitionists seem to believe? This being true, in compliment to the ameliorating genius of the age, it were as well, perhaps, to discourage occurrences of the kind. It would be more patriarchal and fatherly. End of chapter 14a